Well, good morning. I am glad to be back with you. I did not get the note on ugly sweater. I apologize. So you're stuck with this. Uh, but you guys can pull out your outlines. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9 when we get to the Scripture, so you can begin going there on your phones or whatever you have, so that you can follow along in your Bibles. And, and we're going to see one of the most famous birth announcements in the Bible, probably in history. Uh, most famous birth announcement, and it's quite creative and, and beautiful and so forth. So I thought I'd share a few little uh, birth announcements. Birth announcements are sort of a mixed bag because you have the reality of the birth, which is so amazing, and yet the challenges of them. I loved this one. Uh, the guy, of course, is in the bed uh, with the baby. <laughs> the wife is standing over him. Uh, looks like he had one of those experiences in pregnancy, too, where he gained as much weight as her. Uh, so I thought, that was, I thought that was pretty cool. I love this one. It's just adorable. It's just so creative. I love how people do this nowadays and just make these big, you know, creative kinds of presentations of their little babies, eight pounds, one ounce. Uh, and then this one, of course, this was my favorite uh, because, you know, we planned three plus one equals four, and then God laughed, and it was three plus two equals five. I relate with this one because uh, I have twin granddaughters who are three, and that's what God did to my son. Uh, my son talked his wife into having one more. She only wanted one baby, and talked her into having one more, and lo and behold, then there was two, which was the end of her uh, career outside the home for many years. <laughs> but it's just the way it is. And, and then just this one. I love this one. How do I put this? How many of you are parents in the room? You can relate with that. You can relate with that. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that something so precious can, you know, really turn into a kind of nightmarish experience on so many levels. Uh, uh, my son, my oldest son, he's 39, almost 40. And, you know, when we were pregnant with him, he, uh, we got pregnant in the middle of my senior year of my undergraduate work. So it's a busy kind of crazy time. And uh, anyway, it was just, and you know, I'd never been a, uh, you know, followed along the pregnancy like that before. I didn't know a lot of the stages, and so it was kind of mixed. Uh, Teresa, my wife, was extremely, um, what do you call it when you get sick all the time? What is it? Morning sickness. That's what I call it. Is hyperenesis like a, that's probably a medical term. Yes, thank you for educating the room, the house. We all... Learn maybe something except you, uh, so whatever. Um, but yeah, morning sickness. She was really morning sick with Michael, just horrible. Lasted like four months or whatever. And then when it came to the birth, I I did like in my day we did Lamaze. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of or done Lamaze that that kind of stuff? You know, so you go to the classes and you know like breathe. You know, you learn how to breathe, and, and which is all all great. But but uh, when labor started. We didn't know what we were doing, so we rushed to the hospital, and they told us to go home. She's not ready yet, and, and so, you know, hours and hours and hours went by, and the labor was worse and worse and worse, but they kept telling us, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. She was in labor for 59 hours with Michael. Then a C-section. She almost died. Uh, it was really a desperate time. I mean, it was scary, obviously, on steroids. Uh, having said that, if you know me, you know I love blood, so I wanted to be in the room when the baby was born. I just thought it was super fascinating to be in there and watch the tools that they use and how they cut and stretch and pop out this Frankensteinian-looking character out of her belly 
and you know, just the head comes out, and then they suck the stuff out, and and then it was very traumatic because Michael almost died <laughs> in the process, and so it was just it was just really uh, just kind of a, a kind of desperate situation, which is really the question of the weekend. Uh, some of us right now, you are in a desperate place and space. Something's going on in your life. In fact, I'd like you to write it down. You may be sitting next to the person who's causing it, so don't write their name. Uh, but but you know you may be going through a difficult time. But I'd, I'd like you to kind of wrap your mind around. Uh, the idea of peace and desperation and where it is that those two things can intersect with you and for you. And I'll share mine a little bit later as we go along. But it's always good in a sermonic moment, even though we're studying Scripture and Scripture's awesome on its own, remember the intent of Scripture is what? The intent of Scripture is for God to speak to us and change our lives, okay? So I'll, I'll teach you what the Scripture says, but it's kind of a Holy Spirit and you thing where, where the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to you in the context of what you're going through. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 7. Once more, one of the great famous birth announcements we have in Scripture. Isaiah, if I could set it up just a little bit for you as you're getting there, I'll be reading, by the way, from the NIV. And if you do not have a Bible, if you go out to the blue tent afterwards, they'll give you a Bible for free. So please uh, grab one so you can bring it and write in it and stuff. Uh, but Isaiah prophesies in a really difficult time in the people of God. We are in the era of the divided kingdom where there's Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the, the Israelites in the north are being incredibly disobedient to God. And so, and they're, remember, in a theocracy in this time. So, so God's trying to work in this sort of governmental, national sense and not the way he works today, uh, but unique in the Old Testament. Anyway, because of that, he's, he's going to discipline the northern kingdom of Israel. And Isaiah prophesies from basically 740 uh, till for like 60 years. So he, he prophesies through the conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he has a long, long ministry. And it's, a, it's fraught with difficulty and despair and words of peace in the case of this, this uh, birth announcement and hope, which was last weekend, and joy, which is next weekend. In the context of this desperate time, he, he writes and, and speaks this prophecy. And, and it's particularly harrowing or difficult because the nation that's on the rise, uh, Tiglath-Pileser is the emperor of Assyria at, at, in a lot of this time, but Sargon, the emperor of Assyria, ultimately conquers the northern kingdom of Israel. And he, he and his practices of conquest were incredibly evil or horrible or challenging or however you want to frame it. We, we think of the cross uh, over there. We think of the cross the cross member of which Jesus would have carried to his, I'm, I'm pointing over there behind you guys because the cross is over your right shoulder, but the cross uh, timber he would have carried uh, to Golgotha and then they would have dropped him onto another upright piece of wood stuck in the ground. We, we think of that as a Roman thing. It's, it's really not. It, it, it likely comes from the Assyrian period, at least in in gestational form. And the Assyrians were famous for being horrible when they conquered a people. Uh, they were famous for impalement. So they would sharpen a, 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 a piece of wood, uh, like a large stake, if you will, and they would impale uh, the men primarily on this stake. And so they would, they would stab them under the rib cage and then leave them to 
uh, die on this spike. And they would ultimately die as the weight of the individual would cause them to drop over time, hours, and ultimately piercing the organs and killing them. They were famous for that. They were famous for the art, and I use that term advisedly, the, the art of flaying, where they would cut pieces of the skin and meat and flay the individual. They were famous for throwing children and babies into fires and burning them. All of this to wreak fear, which, by the way, might give you some insight. We tend to be hard on Jonah. We tend to be hard on Jonah the prophet. How many of you have ever heard of Jonah and the whale? Raise your hand. Okay, that guy. Okay, and we tend to be hard on him because God calls him. And he says, hey, I want you to go to uh, preach to the Ninevites. Where's Nineveh? In Assyria. It's the capital. How many of you would be a little scared to go prophesy to the Ninevites? Let's just be a little honest right now, okay? We, we tend to give Jonah a hard time. But he can't stand the Ninevites, and he can't stand them because of the way they do war, for lack of a bunch of other things that they do. So all of that is sort of the background, if you will. So when we read Isaiah, I just want you to kind of wrap your minds around what's, what's going on, okay? Uh, so it, what's the first word in Isaiah 9? Nevertheless, nevertheless. That word appears 245 times in the Bible. 245 times. Scripture says, this is a bummer, this is horrible, you're being evil, nevertheless, right? Which is the wonderful story of grace in our lives, where we often do not get what we deserve. And years pass in the context of this prophecy. Anyway, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. For those who were in distress, who, are, who are, were in distress, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, and Naphtali, uh, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee. Where's Jesus come from? Galilee, okay? He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles, and then underline this in your Bibles or highlight it if you're on your, uh, an app, uh, by the way of the sea. I've taught you before that Israel is a land bridge, part of why God calls Abram from Ur of the Chaldees to ultimately inhabit the land of Cana is because the land of Cana was an extremely important piece of geography. And God knew that from there could go what we call the gospel to the world because it's the land bridge between Egypt and Damascus and the east. Okay, so it's, it's very, very important. In fact, I have a map uh, on the screen just so you can kind of wrap your minds. So Naphtali and Zebulun are up on the top of uh, the Sea of Galilee up there, basically. And Galilee, of course, is the Galilee, the, the region of the sea, the re region of the lake, the lake of Gennesaret, so forth. So, so it's that area of the land that pro Isaiah is prophesying about, which is, of course, in the northern kingdom of Israel. So he's going to honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan, along the Jordan. So he's going to bless the nations, the world, through what's going to happen in Galilee, what we call Christmas, okay? What we call Christmas. And then he says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So he's forecasting, he's prophesying what will happen, let's say, roughly 700 years later, ultimately. Now, normally in prophecy, by the way, there, are, there is a king or some person that is 
actually in the near ground, um, the kind of the first fulfillment, if you will, of the prophecy. But because of what he says, and Isaiah normally will do it this way, there's normally some kind of messianic figure that will arise within a fairly short time frame. Hezekiah is a godly king that uh, Isaiah prophesies during his reign. And it, it can be, in, I'm not saying that it can't totally be Hezekiah, it just can't be in entirety. Because look at what he says, look at how he describes this messianic uh, figure. He says, he says uh, those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice, which many of their religious festivals were around the harvest times, right? And, and that was a big deal in the Jewish nation and, and is in ours. That's why you tend to celebrate when you get a raise or whatever, you know, like we have all our different ways of celebration, even Christmas, okay? Uh, they rejoice as people uh, rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, which happens, it's a, like a story in Judges 7. For as in the days of Midian's uh, defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. We'll talk about that. Um, and it, it's, it is fascinating, though, even though Assyria conquers Israel, the north, in 722, in 701, Assyria is conquered. By whom? The Babylonians, right? The Babylonians are on the rise now. Anyway, and others. But anyway, then he says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, <coughs> will be fuel for the fire. So that's a, that's a leap forward to the end times, to the end of the age, to the end times that we look toward, Okay. And, but then is one of the most famous uh, birth announcements in Scripture. You all will likely recognize parts of it, okay? So it says, for to us, a lot of you memorized it, for unto us a child is born, okay? For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and here's some of the great descriptors, descriptors of Jesus, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now that, by the way, that's why it cannot be Hezekiah. Mighty God. No king would ever be described quite like that as a prophet. Okay? Even though in an Egyptian worldview, the, the um, leaders, the pharaohs become gods, and later on, of course, as you are probably likely familiar with, in Roman history, they become gods, uh, Nero is one of the famous emperors in Rome who declares himself to be a god. Uh, in fact, that's all, where all the whole god complex idea comes from. Anyway, uh, and then everlasting father, so eternal father and prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no what? End. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, the great king David. The Messiah will be in the Davidic, Davidic line. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So it's a, it's a prophetic word toward Christmas, what we know as Christmas, and, and then obviously toward the end of the age, the end of the age, and something super important at Christmas time. 
<coughs> for us to get in our minds is the promise of Advent begins with the word nevertheless. Again, 250 plus times that it appears in Scripture. Nevertheless, of what's going on in your life. Like, I don't know what you wrote down or thought of when I said what's the despair, what's the difficulty that you're facing this Christmas season. I don't know what it was. You know what it is. But don't forget the word nevertheless, okay? Don't forget the word nevertheless. And nevertheless means all kinds of things. Even in our current reality, even in their current reality, it still means something powerful that, that is anticipative, so it's kind of like an aspirational life, but that God will bring peace to my stressed out life. <laughs> I need peace. How many of you need peace? Like, I need peace to my stressed out life. There'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Now, this is a forecast, ladies and gentlemen. It's a forecast 700 years from now to Jesus, what we celebrate as the incarnation, Christmas. But it is also a forecast to the end of the age. We still live in the end times. It, you know, the culmination of everything, where Romans says, as you learned last week, that the earth, the, the world groans in expectation of the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate expression of what we often refer to as heaven. But it has this presence of breaking in on us. It has this, this reality that he will existentially, I mean, today, this has been my prayer all week, that today I and you would experience peace in the midst of the despair. I don't know what the despair is. And that he walks with me, like the old hymn. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. How many of you know that? You know that hymn. Okay. Yeah. yeah, gray hair. Or no hair. Whatever. I'm confident in my no hairness. Even though my little three year olds still trip on it. They're the three year old granddaughters. Like when I see them, they still are kind of freaked out. It takes them about a day. And then eventually they'll, and I'll be sitting on the ground, and eventually they'll come up. And I can tell what they want to do. They just want to feel it. They just, they, you know, they'll stand about a foot away and stare. <laughs> and then I'll say, you can touch it, you can touch it. And then, then they touch it, you know. And it's best when I've skinned it that morning, you know, because otherwise it, it's, it's super sharp. Anyway, uh, God walks with me through my darkness. Isaiah's prophesying. God's with you in it if you will seek him with all your heart. And he's after national repentance. He was after the people of God repenting at, on, at, at once. Kind of like what we do every weekend. Every weekend we pray prayers of repentance and forgiveness and, and whatever. It's always not just you as an individual, it's you as a people. And in the theocracy of the Old Testament, it's in the Israelites. It's in the nation, okay? Uh, in us, we no longer live in a theocracy. But it's still very relevant that he walks with me through my darkness. Now, how many of you have ever seen this guy? Yeah, so how many of you have seen the movie? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, incredible film, incredible film, uh, and I, I just love, his name's Fred Rogers, by the way, not Mr. Rogers, but uh, he just had one of the longest running shows on TV, and it was a very unique show, but it, it was birthed out of despair. Uh, this is why I love his story. I don't know if you're, probably hardly any of you are familiar with the story, but when he was a boy, uh, he was really bullied a lot. Uh, how many of you were bullied as a, as a kid? I, I was really bullied as a kid. Raise your hand if you were bullied. Okay. 
I was really bullied. I was bullied because I was skinny. He was bullied because he was obese. When he was a boy, he was obese, really struggled with weight, uh, and it was really a horrible experience for him if you read uh, his story and how uh, his parents, you know, kind of had to protect him and everything. But it, it birthed this thing in him. He became a Christ follower as a young boy, and it birthed this calling in him, which he, he felt called into the ministry. And you know how I always say it, your primary occupation is your ministry. From a biblical theological perspective, whatever you do, you can be an engineer, you could be a doctor, you could be a construction worker, it doesn't matter. From a biblical perspective, that is your primary ministry in life. That's your calling in life. Now, yes, you're called to do ministry in the context of the church that you serve and the community uh, that you do. Many of you helped with the Tierra Santa Christmas, you know, Christmas and Tierra Santa and all that. So, yeah, that's all ministry too. But I'm just saying, like your 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 call your what you do for a living. You, look, let me put it this way: you either have a job, or you are in ministry in what you do for a living, and you pray, you spend 50, 60 hours a week doing it. So you, I'm always after you to kind of theologize that and spiritualize what you do. So you see yourself as a minister. Anyway, Fred though felt called to vocational ministry early. And uh, he went to seminary and everything. He went to, he had, he, uh, he did the same educational track that I did. But through his course, he discovered uh, TV and the power of communication and the power of communicating, he had a particular burden for children. And in fact, preschoolers was his target market in Mr. Rogers. But he was different from Sesame Street. How many of you know what Sesame Street is? Okay, Sesame Street's awesome, but Sesame Street is kind of a, an idea about teaching sort of lessons about life in a different way and learning things as a kid in, in different ways like math and different things like that. Uh, Fred felt called to, to do it as a, uh, like a, he, he scaled the emotional kinds of things that preschoolers go through. So for example, he was one of the first people in television history to scale the issue of divorce from a preschooler's perspective. Like, how do you handle divorce? He handled, obviously, the subjects of bullying. How do you handle being bullied, and how do you handle bullies? How do you deal with it? So he, he was much more on the emotional side of things. So he was kind of scaling the issues of pain and how you use pain, which is what God's always trying to do with me and you, is how we deal with pain. I have this beautiful quote from uh, Henri now, and I don't... You might take a picture of it. It isn't anywhere in the notes or anything, but I love this quote by Nowen. He says this, and it's about the problem of pain and life. He says, the dance of life finds its beginnings in grief. Here, a completely new way of living is revealed. It's the way in which pain can be embraced, okay? God's intention is for you to embrace, embrace the pain. Why? Not out of a desire to suffer, <laughs> of course. Like, I hate pain from a suffering perspective. But, um, but in the knowledge that something new will be born in the pain. This is classically, if you're taking notes, write down James 1. This is classic James 1. Um, this is classic Psalm 50, no, Psalm 70. Psalm 70. Um, 
Psalm 70 is a, just a tremendous psalm on the same subject, and now one just captures it right there and kind of gets it to us in our times of desperation. And then God wants to replace my sorrow with joy. He really does. And joy is often in the midst, from a biblical perspective, in the midst of the pain. <coughs> it says, you have entered the nation and increase their joy. Now, we're going to talk about this next week. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but and, and you have to put it in the t context of the Assyrian conquest that's happening like live as Isaiah's prophesying about the gloom that they're going through, that God wants to replace their sorrow with joy. So it's this telescope of your life. It's this telescope of uh, the Israelites' life in 700 B.C., toward the future, but that it can break in on us and on them as individuals, even though they're going through what they're going through, that God, and this is the key to pain, that God is somehow in it, somehow in it. He is not causing it necessarily. There are times in Scripture that He causes pain, obviously, uh, but He's not necessarily causing it, but He's in it. Write down Romans 8, 28, great verse for you to memorize. And then, and then this, God wants to shatter our burdens. I love that language. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them. We have that uh, song we do, that worship song we sing. Uh, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, so that he wants to shatter it, okay? He wants to, he wants to shatter the, the chains that bind us in our lives, but that takes kind of our lifetimes, right? And then the announcement of Jesus has the power to change everything, not just us in our lives, but in our families, in our workplaces, everywhere we are, everywhere we go, it has this power to change everything. It is the, it is the big change agent. And maybe you're here, you're new, you've been coming for a little while, and, and you've been thinking about beginning a relationship with Jesus. When you begin a relationship with Jesus, He will change everything in your life. Is it going to be perfect from then on? No, and I'm sorry for those who have maybe misled you in this regard, wonderful church folk that say to you, if you'll just accept Jesus, you'll not have any more pain in your life, and everything will just be tiptoe through the tulips, through the tulips. It's not like that, but in it, in it, there will be the inbreaking of the power of God. He will help. He will help you. And, and then there's these descriptors of him, these wonderful words in Scripture, where Isaiah prophesies, one of the most famous sections in the Old Testament, and it says he'll be a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor. Now, if I could help you a little bit, in Isaiah's context, in the Hebrew language, this word is a, it's a special combination. It, yes, it, Jesus says in the New Testament that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you as a counselor. And there's lots of passages, and so it's like that word is definitely like therapist, like counselor, like a mentor, like somebody who's going to lead you and guide you through the drama of having kids or, or your career path or, uh, you know, divorce or whatever it is, okay? But in this context, what this means, because remember, it's a forecast to Jesus, which is part of why they expected Jesus to come as the baby, now the man, the Messiah, the messianic figure, part of why they believed that Jesus was coming as the ruling and reigning king in, you know, basically zero, actually he was born in 4 BC, we got the calendar off because of a monk's error in like the 4th century, 
Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, but anyway, so our calendars are all wrong. <laughs> just thought I'd, you can Google it. Um, great monk, just math, he's math, how many of you are mathematically challenged? Me too, so let him off the hook. Anyway, this means that he is going to be a person who will bring like a global influence, you know, governmental power, he'll set everything right. Imagine, you're going to have to imagine this, in America and in our political milieu, imagine if someone were to be so wise, so amazing, and the whole Senate, Congress, everybody would be so amazing that they would bring this kingdom of God way in America. Imagine how much America would change. Anyway, that's who this is. <laughs> Thought I'd throw that out there. Yes, he's a counselor, you know, small c, but he's the counselor big C, okay? Just thought I'd throw that in. And then mighty God, mighty God. This is why Hezekiah cannot be the ultimate fulfillment in the southern kingdom of Judah of who this messianic figure is, though Hezekiah was pretty awesome. He was one of, the, I think, three godly kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. But, but mighty God, he will be the mighty God, and he will be the mighty God who works for us, through us, in us, wants to impact the world through us. This is the deal. And then he uses this term that some of us have issues with. I do too. Everlasting, eternal father. Uh, and the reason that that is striking to us often is because it is the, um, the conflict between our earthly dads and God as dad. And so it's complicated for us. So, so we tend to by virtue of just being psychological beings, you know, born in the context in which we are, we tend to pigeonhole God into the garb, if you will, of our dad. And this is an incredible journey you'll spend your whole life long dealing with, is uh, often referred to as father wounds, mother wounds, how, because your dad's not perfect, and so you have goods and bads and uglies and beautiful things that come through your family of origins issues. And if you've ever been in therapy, you've delved into this and you know a lot about this already, but still, it's an ongoing existential reality of morphology in your life. You're constantly changing and growing, and it's, you're pigeonholing God, and a big part of the problem is that with you uh, and, and me. I have the same issues. So, and by the way, even though my dad is dead, my dad has passed on. He's in heaven. I led him to Christ before he died, like six months before he died. I still have him in me. I still have his voice. I still often kind of respond to things because that's who I learned from and how I am. And so... It, it's, it's complicated. And then this, uh, this last one, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And we need peace in the midst of our lives, don't we? Like we need this peace, this sense of wholeness. The Hebrew word is very famous. What's the Hebrew word? Here, I'll teach you. Shalom. Everybody say it. Shalom. It's a wonderful word. If you're taking notes, write down wholeness, W-H. Uh, it means prosperity. It means tranquility in the midst of the storm. Remember, Isaiah's prophesying as the northern kingdom is being conquered and as the southern kingdom gets all jacked up too. He's saying that this peace is available in the mess of our lives. And this is the peace that we need in desperate times. I'm in a desperate time right now. My son is going through a horrible divorce. 
This is part of where I've been in the last month and a half dealing with this. My wife, Teresa, is now in Austin helping with the children that are involved in this. And I've asked Michael's permission to share this. Um, Michael has struggled with clinical depression for many, many years. He is suicidal. Uh, he's been extremely suicidal in the last month. Um, and he has this son who is autistic. He has Asperger's. Uh, and he is bipolar, psychological, uh, you know, uh, definitions. Uh, so he is on medications for those things, but Riley is also suicidal. And in this time, I'm dealing with this. This is why my Thanksgiving, you know, I always tell you, Thanksgiving can be a complicated time, right? Well, welcome to my Thanksgiving. My Thanksgiving was no joke. My Thanksgiving was the most complicated Thanksgiving I personally have ever been in. But somehow, God was at work in it. He's in, at work in it for me, my son, his wife, the kids, my wife. So if you guys could be praying for my wife, if you could write her name down, it's Teresa, no H. Teresa, if you could be praying for her. That is the Prince of Peace. Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said it. He said, peace I leave with you. Now, what, when Jesus says these words, what's he about to do? This is the triptych of prayer, John 14 through 16. Where does he go after this? He goes to the Mount of Olives. I mean, he goes to, for the Passover festival. Then he goes to the Mount of Olives. Then what happens? Then he dies. Okay? So in that context, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In that context, just like Isaiah, in the, in the reality of life, the drama and trauma of life, God says, experience the peace of heaven. Let God in. Only God can do this. This makes no sense apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you simply cannot see what God is doing. So you have to let him in so that he can do his work, okay? He has to, he has to continue to change me in the midst of the pain, the current pain that I am wrestling with. That's what he's always trying to do. And especially when you have grown, how many of you have grown kids? Okay. So a lot of you have grown kids, especially in the context of grown kids, because what's the temptation when you have grown kids and they go through a divorce in my case? What's the internal conflict? I coulda, woulda, shoulda. I coulda, woulda, shoulda. Somehow I coulda rescued this. I should have. You, you just have this whole crazy crazy. It's, I, that's why I call it the cray cray. It's the cray cray that goes inside every dad and mom's head is the cray-cray. And you will go crazy without God, okay? So I want to do a couple things, but first I want us to pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're watching this online, I'd encourage you just to bow your head and close your eyes. So Father, here we are in this kind of sacred space, sacred because we are here committing ourselves to you. You are here to help us, to give us peace, and Lord, for some of us, it's, it's our life is not right with you. That's the deal. You are calling us to a 
right relationship with you, where you are king, we are not, we are just your children trying to follow you as best we can, but our lives need to get right with you. We need to pray about that. That's you this morning as you are in this space. Raise your hands up. That's me, Pastor Mike. I need to get my life right with God. I need to either begin my relationship with him or recommit to it or whatever. Raise your hands all across the room and, and just look up at me. I just want to connect with you guys. God bless you guys. It's awesome. He's going to do an amazing thing in us because only he can do it, okay? And first, it's like peace with God. Now, you can put your hands down. How many of you, in, when I said, what's the desperate thing, you know that area, you need the peace of God to break into your life and invade your life. Raise your hands up. You know exactly what it is, what the context of it is. It could be loneliness. It could be, oh, I don't know, anger, anxiety, lots of things, okay? You can put your hands down. So, Father, that's our prayer. Some of us. Some of us need our lives right with you. So we'll pray this together out loud. I'll lead us in prayer, and then let's just all pray together, okay? Some of you are more comfortable praying out loud. Others of you, that's like a bummer for you, so you don't have to. But let's pray out loud, okay? Lord Jesus, help me and heal me. Bring me forgiveness. Bring me fresh start. Break into my world with the shalom of heaven. I cannot do it on my own. I recognize that. I admit to it. I humble myself in your presence. I will be meek. I will be righteous because of your grace within me. So help me to experience your kingdom right now. So that I can give it away. Thank you for loving me more than I could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Now give God a hand for what he's doing. Now look, those of you who are just committing your lives to Christ and kind of getting your mind wrapped around what that looks like, I would really encourage you after we're done. We're gonna, I have one more thing I want to share with you. After we're done, though, I'd really encourage you to go over to the cross and share that with some people over there. Let them pray a bit more over you. Or you can always go out to the blue tent. People will just pray with you out on the patio, whatever. And they'll give you resources, though. I, wanna, I want you to take care of yourselves, okay? Um, but, but just this last thing I want to share with you, uh, it's, uh, go, go back to the very last, that one. Um, because this is the words of Jesus, and, and I love uh, Mr. Rogers' ministry. He's obviously, if you don't know, he's passed away, he's in heaven, but Jesus said, uh, not just blessed are you when you experience peace. What's he say? When you become a peacemaker. How many of you need to have peace hit your workplace? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you need to have peace hit your family, like your, your, maybe your roommates even, whatever? Yeah, so, so I want to challenge you to be a peacemaker. And if I could frame the idea with three words. Uh, Tom Hanks, by the way, who is a distant relative of him. Yeah, I think it's like seventh cousin or something, whatever. You know, 23 and me is a great thing. Anyway, uh, uh, Tom Hanks played him in the movie. 
And every day on the set, they would play, I guess, or, or send it out or somehow say it, maybe in the rally or whatever. Uh, they would say a famous saying from Mr. Robert uh, Rogers. And, uh, and then one of them that when Tom Hanks was interviewed, what was it like playing Mr. Rogers? He said, well, they did this every day. It was super cool. And I remember this one in particular. And Mr. Rogers says, you know, they asked him, what's the key to be happy? Remember, he's, he's a preschool expert, right? And you know you're just a big preschooler. Okay? But, but Mr. Rogers said three words. Here's the secret of being happy. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Okay? So that's what I want you to wrap your mind around Monday. Some of you are going, God bless you. Some of you are going to Costco today. <laughs> you are going to the mall today. Um, so you're, 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 okay, let's all stand. But, but you're going to go to work on Monday, and you know, you're going to be in your neighborhood, and it, is, it can be a beautiful day in your neighborhood, okay? But you must bring the kindness. You must be the peacemaker, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you for this week of ministry. Father, I thank you for everybody that's here. I thank you for how you've touched our lives. I thank you for preserving the words of Isaiah. It's so amazing, Lord, that so much of the scroll of Isaiah was found in the Qumran, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and that it's in the museum in the world, and we can go look at it. And it's just such an amazing miracle of preservation. I thank you for Isaiah 9. I thank you for all that it says to us about the Prince of Peace. So help us to go and be peacemakers everywhere we are this week. Help us to come back next weekend, inviting our friends, Lord, and look at the idea of joy, the joy of Christmas that doesn't necessarily, I mean, presents are awesome, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with that. There's something deeper that you want for us. So help us to be prayerful this week as we are peacemakers, come back in anticipation next weekend on joy. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>